Tonight we're going to take a break from 1 John, and we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're just going to read the first eight verses. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also has given us of his Holy Spirit. Says God to help us tonight. Father, we thank you that you are a holy, righteous God. And Father, as we read this passage of scripture tonight, we ask that you will continue to make us more holy, that you will continue to conform us more and more into the image of your son. And Father, that that cleansing work in our life will continue and that we will glorify you on this earth. Father, we thank you that we have such a privilege to be called your children and that we can live and be like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Paul says here, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he says, he's talking specifically to these Thessalonians and that you abstain from sexual immorality. And what he's telling them here is that you should, not set, you should be set apart for pure and holy living before God. Now I realize that in our upcoming Sunday schools, we're going to be looking at sanctification. So when you get to that, when we get to that in the 1689 Confession of Faith, you're going to get a full in-depth study on this subject. But my purpose tonight is just to remind us and to reinforce the biblical fact that God's will for every born-again believer is that we be holy and that God's will is our sanctification. You know, a lot of people will come to you and they'll say, I need to know God's will for my life. Sometimes I feel like just handing them the Bible and said, there it is. But, you know, I know what they mean, you know, like making decisions and things like that. Because, you know, you don't know God's will in everything in your life, but you have his revealed will. And you have his, what they would call the will of precepts. And so when you talk about you want to know God's will, basically this is what you're saying. I want to know the thing that God wants and the thing that pleases God. And in order for us to please God and to know God, we must know and do his will, which I said is his revealed will in his written word. Now, Paul says in verse 1, he says, Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ that you abound more and more just as you receive from us and then he says this how you should walk to please God and then verse 2 he says for you know that what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ so the apostles had the revelation for how to please God given to them by our Lord Jesus Christ and they passed them down to us 
And as we start tonight, I just want to make one point, and that is that the revealed will of God for our lives is not optional. It is not optional. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, speaking in the context of the day of judgment, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, one thing we know that is the will of God, as we've just read, is our sanctification. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 1.13, and I'm going to read 1.13 to 16. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. In other words, be perfectly self-controlled and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. In other words, the way that you used to live, don't conform yourself back to the evil desires that you used to cherish before you were saved. But as he who has called you as holy, or which has called you as holy, you be holy in all your conduct. In other words, every department of your life, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And of course, you know that comes from the Old Testament from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 to 45. So the Christian life is a call to holiness of life. That is the will of God. Now, the context of this passage that we're dealing with tonight, he's basically calling them to sexual purity. In other words, that they abstain from sexual immorality. And what he's telling these brethren here, he says, you need to keep yourselves away from fornication. And what he's telling them there, and not only just fornication, all forms of fornication. And that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. That each of you know how to master your own body is one way to say that. That each of you need to learn to know how to keep your body under the control of the Holy Spirit. Because of what he's dealing with in this passage, one man would translate it like this. And it's because of the times that he wrote this. He said that each of you know how to procure himself a wife. That's interesting that he would say that. He said, recognize the duty of taking one woman for his wife in holiness and honor, in sanctification and honor. Now, I don't want to get into everything he's talked about there, but the reason why he says all this is he's writing to believers who were saved out of a society that was filled with all types of fornication and uncleanness and lewdness. There was temple prostitution going on. There was all type of whoredom and uncleanness in these days. And the one reason why I chose this passage tonight is because of our youth. And the reason why I chose this is because they are growing up and they are being saved out of a society that runs wild in all counter and all manner of sexual excess. You know, the same as these brethren that Paul writes to. You know, it's no new thing what Paul is writing. It's happened all the way down through history. And, you know, he's telling these brethren that, you know, they need to live holy before God and flee sexual immaturity. Now, our children, and I don't have to tell you this, they're growing up in a society that celebrates sin and uncleanness of all types. You know, I never thought I'd live to see some of the things that they are making common and accepted way of life. And, you know, when you come against this, because I think the, the biggest uh, force against what they're doing is the church of Jesus Christ because the church of Jesus Christ says live pure and holy before God live righteous before God and so there'll be a day that comes in this country and I don't know when it will be if it ever will but I will say this 
They will come after the church because you want to live holy before God. I'm not saying that you are living legalistically before God. I'm not saying that we are fundamentalists. We're just separated and consecrated to God. And if you separate and consecrated to God, then you're going to live pure and holy and righteous according to his will. So it's God's will that every Christian, and this man says this, and this is interesting that he says this. He says God's will that every Christian is to know how to act in the matter of sex and to be pleasing to God. He says that he is to know that God instituted marriage and each man is to have his own wife and each woman her own husband. You know, God tells us to live in monogamy and the world would tell you different. I thought the other day, they have got marriage so messed up. It's, I don't even try to untangle it, you know. All I know is, is that marriage is between a man and a woman. And that was ordained by God as we looked at in the creation ordinances. And I'm not here tonight to beat you over the head with anything. This is just facts from the word of God. And that needs to be kept pure and holy amongst the church. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7, 1. He said, now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And then he says this in verse 2. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. And he said that because if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, they had all kind of problems that were even worse issues than what we've read so far about the Thessalonians. And then later in the chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he deals with singles and virgins and how they are to live to please God. So, bottom line is this. All fornication is contrary to the will of God. That's real simple. And if it's unrepented of in this world, through, if, it's, if you die unrepented of this in this world without having faith in Jesus Christ, then Revelation 21.8 says that you will burn in the lake of fire. You can't lessen what God has said in his word about this. Like 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, I want to read that to you. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, Paul says this. He says, flee sexual immorality. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the kids tonight because what Paul is telling you to do, to run from it. One man says you not only need to run from it, but you need to avoid it like the plague and keep on running from it. Best way to make it out of a temptation is to run. Get away from it, just like Joseph did. You know, run from this temptation. And, you know, if you put yourself in the line of fire where, you know, that you're taking fire into your bosom and stuff like that, you will be burned. So he's telling you to run for that. He said, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And then he goes on and says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And he said, whom you have from God and you are not your own. You are no longer your own master. And then I say, he says this, for you were bought with a price. In other words, a great ransom price was paid to ransom you. He says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Now, to me, to honor my loving heavenly father who bought me with the awesome price of his son is the greatest motive to flee sexual immorality because he bought us with a price and for it is his will that we be holy. 
You know, like I said tonight, I'm not trying to be a fundamentalist or anything. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says about these things. You know, I, I try not to get hardened in my heart about everything that's going in the world because I know people just need the gospel. And if somebody believes the gospel and gets converted, the problem's over. You know, that doesn't mean that you won't have other problems with it in life because you're going you're gonna to have to fight these sins and stuff until the earth is done. They're going to be around. Men will be fornicating and doing everything in this world until this world is done. We are going to have to fight. And you say, well, yeah, but that's just for the kids. No, grown-ups too. Hey, grown-ups have cell phones too, just as many as kids do. And so, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived. In other words, stop being misled. And he said, this is what he says. Because see, you need to hear this because if you hear the news report, they won't tell you this. But I'm going to tell you tonight. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That is the exact opposite message that the world is telling children in the world today. And uh, that, that, that's a scripture that you think about it. So many of these sins that he talks about here are sexual sins because it's always been a big deal all the way down through history from Sodom and Gomorrah on up to our time today. And then I like this, though. And such were some of you. In other words, this used to be the characters of some of you. And I like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. He said you were, in other words, cleansed from those sins, but you were justified in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He said, by the Spirit of God. So, basically, Paul is telling us that God expects us to live a holy life. And he's saying that we need to understand what his will is concerning all these things. And God's will for us is his, is that our sanctification. Now, for our youth tonight, unbelievers who do not know God, they are completely guided and controlled by their passions alone. Unbelievers are passion-driven. There was a time in my life when I was passion-driven. I remember when they came out and they said, just do your own thing. You're free, okay? Well, Christians are not free to do their own thing. You say, well, I'm a red-blooded American. I have a right. You have one right, and that's to please God. As a Christian, you have one right, is to obey and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, like saying, I have a right to do this or the other. No, we have a right. The best right that we have is to do the will of God, and we couldn't do it until he saved us. And then you could do it. But for our youth, they're guided by their passions, and this should never be for the believer who is to united to, to Christ because God's will for you is to stay pure and holy and consecrated to him. I really believe that we live in one of the most dangerous times in history for our children for one reason. It is being stuffed down their throat. And, 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 and grown-ups too. So, I mean, you have just as many grown-ups and problems as children's are, children are, but I just want our children to know that God's will is that we live a sanctified life. And then verse 7, he reminds them of the call of God on their life. He says, God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. In other words, God does not permit an impure life, but God demands purity. So he had effectually called the Thessalonians to himself. 
He called them into blessed union with himself. And this points out to us the gospel of the unmerited grace of God. Because what happened when God called the Thessalonians out, he drew them out of paganism into his blessed kingdom and not to live unclean and impure lives, but their lives were to be totally consecrated to him. And, and that was to be for the rest of their life as they consecrated and dedicated their lives to God. Now, after he gives this call to purity, he gives them a warning to all who read this letter. He said, therefore, who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his spirit. So that's as far as I want to go as far as just looking at the context of this letter, because I've got some good news for you tonight. Sanctification goes farther than that. It's much more than sexual purity. I was telling Pastor Derek this morning, I said, anytime you use the word holy or sanctification, the first thing everybody thinks of is sexual impurity or something like that. No, it goes much farther than that. It goes beyond just being chaste and being pure sexually. And it's vital that we know what the word means for the simple reason that it is the will of God. Now, I'm going to give you a Greek word for sanctification. And if I mess this up, it's still a Greek word. Okay. <laughs> But it's hagiosmos, okay? And this is a noun that speaks of moral purity, and it has the idea of separation. And the separation of the spirit from all that is impure, all that is defiling, all that is polluting, everything that is unclean. It is a renunciation of the sins which the desires of the flesh and of the mind would lead us to. In other words, when you talk about sanctification, you're talking about consecration. It means to be set apart and consecrated to God, to be set apart from common use to God, just like the Old Testament vessels in the tabernacle and the temple were separated and holy unto God. One man says this, that the main idea in sanctification, main ideas in sanctification are separation from what is sinful on one hand and displeasing to God. And the other idea is consecration to what is righteous and according to the will of God on the other hand. So to me, to be, to be sanctified to God is to be consecrated and set apart unto God. There's a, the verb is hagiezo, hagiezo, and it means to consecrate or to dedicate, to set apart as holy. And there's other words for holy that we won't look at tonight, but there's plenty of them that you can see what it means. So the apostle says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, set apart, consecrated, and dedicated to God. Now, we have some here that believe they're saved or are on the way to being saved or God's dealing with them or whatever they're thinking. But if you become saved, you belong to God. You know, you can't just live any kind of way you want to. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to fight sin and things like that. But when you get saved, God makes you holy. And people say, yeah, but I'm living unholy. But he made you holy. And you have got to be made holy before you can live holy. And you start growing in that process. And, you know, you're set apart unto him. And, you know, he's going to do this work in your life. And he's going to clean you up. And he's going to make you what he wants you to be. Now, actually, in chapter 13 in the 1689 Confession of Faith, and I'm not going to read what it says, but paragraph one gives to us a full definition of when and how 
the believer gets sanctified. This is what it would basically tell you. It would tell you that at conversion, the Christian, and it uses this kind of language, is definitely sanctified. When you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and one man would say it this way, you are really and truly and personally sanctified and made holy and separated to God. In other words, when you are saved by the Holy Spirit, there is a radical moral change that takes place in your heart. It's a once and for all moral change. And from that point on, you have what you call progressive or ongoing sanctification that continues in the life of the believer. It's a spiritual and moral transformation that begins in uh, the believer's life. And he or she progressively and daily are growing in holiness and conformity to Christ. Now, this process will continue to death or until the return of Christ. You say, why would you say that? Because you can never stop growing as a Christian. Nobody has arrived. And, you know, there is, you know, I, I think about my, there is always work to be done. You say, now, I think I love enough. You know, I love half the people in the church. I love enough. That's enough. No. The other half need to be loved, too. See, the work, there's more work to be done. And then when you think you've arrived at this certain place, a lot of people are thinking, well, I think I'll put my Bible down. I'm going to quit praying. You know, yeah, I'll meet with Christians every now and then because, you know, I'm pretty mature as a Christian. You're like, I can stand on my own two feet. That is not God's will for you. God's will is for you and me both until we get up to that mountain on the other side is to continue to use the means of grace and to continue to submit to the sanctification process that's taking place. Now, if Jesus returned today, we would see the fulfillment of 1 John 3, 2 to 3. And we read that not too long ago. I think Pastor Jim used this several times. He said, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. That's some of the sweetest words you'll ever read in the word of God. He said, because we'll see him as he is. And the reason why that is is because he's holy and spotless and undefiled, and he's going to get us to the point. And this, you have to be glorified to get to this point, is without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. God, on the day of judgment, is going to present to himself a holy church. A church is that, with, that is without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, or any such thing. And he's going to present to him church, uh, himself a church that has been glorified. And he will show the whole world the great work of salvation through Jesus Christ. And he... John goes on to say that everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, they purify themselves because the sanctification process continues. It's ongoing. They are living daily holy lives before God. Now, one man says this about this moral change that takes place. He says, the ongoing moral change, which is a sanctification process, that continually takes place in the hearts of God's people has its foundation in that once-for-all moral change that took place at conversion. Okay, in other words, when God saved you, that moral change that took place that day continues the rest of the days of your life. Philippians 1, 6, you know it by heart. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, which was at regeneration, he said, 
will complete it or perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I like what one man says, he will keep it going until the day of Jesus Christ, and he will perfect that which concerns us. Now, what are the means to make us more holy? It's two things that make us more holy. You say, well, maybe the way I wear my hair. Now, I don't have much hair, so I don't have to worry about that part of it. Or the kind of clothes that I wear. You know, like anything outward that we do, we think that that will make us more holy. Now, when God makes you holy in your heart, it will affect what you do outwardly. But what you do outwardly is not what made you holy. What made you holy is God's work in your heart. And so a lot of people say, well, what, what do I need? It's two simple things. The word of God and the Holy Spirit. That's it. And they have to be together. John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. He says, your word is truth. In other words, set them apart, consecrate them, cleanse and purify them by your truth. And then Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth. The truth does us no good unless it's applied by the Holy Spirit. A head full of knowledge does not always translate into a heart full of faith. Because you can have a head full of knowledge and still not a heart full of faith. Knowledge should translate in our lives to personal sanctification. If what Pastor Jim preached us this morning and what Pastor Derek taught us this morning does not bring us closer to God, then it would be useless in our lives. I didn't say that you'd be perfectly close to God, but it should do a work in our hearts. Every time you sit down and read the Bible and say, Lord, help me to see things in your word, that's the sanctification process. And the Holy Spirit opens up your mind and your heart to understand the things of God. That's part of the sanctification process. And you see things in there, and everything that we look at and everything that he works on us with, he's bringing us more and more to be like our Savior. Have you ever sat down and thought about what it would be like to be totally like Jesus? Are y'all with me tonight? Sometimes I'm going like, how could I ever be sinless? Because I'm even going to sin after I think that. So how do you get there? And, of course, the word of God tells us someday it'll be like that. But it's just so hard to believe because there's so much sin in the world and you fight sin all the time, and you, you have to fight and fight and scratch and do everything you have to do, but the day's coming. We won't have to fight it no more, and God will have us to where he wants us to be. Now, I want to give you two th basic things tonight that will take place in sanctification. Number one, the negative side, the mortification of sin. Pastor Jim's taught us on this many times, basically as crucifying the flesh with the affections and the lust. It is negative because you're putting off everything that is unchristlike. It's negative because you're putting off everything that contradicts the will of God. See, the gospel is not negative. But there are negative things that go on in the gospel, like repent and where you turn and walk away from your sin. But the fruit of the gospel is completely positive. 
And so the positive side of this is the cultivation of grace. And that's where you put on everything that is like the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on everything that pleases God. And you put on everything. You say, well, what would that everything be? The fruits of the spirit. What would a man look like if he's being made holy? I'll tell you one thing that he'll look like. You'll see fruit coming from his or her life. And you know you're growing in the Lord. Paul said in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's a putting on and a taking away when you talk about the sanctification process. Now, the question comes up, how do I know that I am progressing in sanctification? Well, number one, one way you know you're progressing in sanctification is that you are in a struggle with remaining sin. See, some people don't think that they sin enough to have to fight. But you need to fight that because you do sin enough to fight. And whether it's in thought, word, or deed, you do sin. And so it's a struggle with remaining sin. And uh, when that struggle goes on daily, then you know that, and, and we always ask you as a pastor, I ask this sometimes in my oversights, are you still in the fight? It doesn't mean that every day is bad in your life and all these things, but it just means that when sin comes up, you do your best to put it to death. And when you put it to death, you are struggling with remaining sin. So you say, how do I know I'm progressing in sanctification? I'm going to give you three things I borrowed from a brother, but I think these are good. Number one, sin in your life is found in less duration. Say, what do you mean? In other words, you are quick to repent of sin that you are conscious of in your heart. It doesn't take you six months to repent of a sin. Now, when you first get saved, it may be that way before you. But when I got saved, I was so convicted, I was repenting every five minutes of everything. You know, but I was a little overboard with that stuff. But you understand what I'm saying. But, you know, the, the sin is found in less duration. The time that you remain under sin, you are quick anymore to repent of sin. Another thing he says here, sin is found in less degree. What are you saying here? You're getting these besetting sins more and more under control. And these sins that just so easily beset us, and a lot of that stuff we bring in from our past life, you're getting them more and more under the control by the Holy Spirit. When you first was converted, <laughs> sin would break out in all kind of gross actions, words, and thoughts, and look, looks, and now you have grown. And one of the major places that you grow in sanctification and you'll love this tonight is your mouth. The tongue. I thought about this. I'm telling you, a lot of our sin is the tongue. And you know, a man, you know, you could read in Proverbs, he said, through much talk is sin. I thought about when I grew up and when I grew up, the radio stations, all they had was music. I know some of you are old enough to remember that. That's all they had. When they came out with talk radio, sin just, you know. It was there when the music was, too. But now there's out of talk radio, then people are just blasting each other. And now that we got social media and everything, it's like, you know, need to be sanctified. You need to ask God to continue to sanctify you where you can be swift to hear and slow to speak. 
And sometimes me and Vanessa get in there. I know we've been married a long time, but we still get into it every now and then. And I can't wait to say what I got to say. Now, I'm getting over that. But it's hard for me to say, wait a minute, let me tell you first. No, she said, no, I'm going to tell you first. No, so we, but you get over that. And you say, put it to death. Forget it. You know, it's not even worth sinning over. You know, but that happens in marriage. And some of the greatest sanctification that will ever take place in your life is in marriage. And I'm not saying because people don't get along. I'm just saying you got two people that come from two different places and now they're living together and they find out all the quirks and all the things that's wrong with them. You got to fight to keep loving one another. So if y'all love me, because that, that's the truth. But if you've been married as long as I have, finally you just say, yeah, we're here. Like, I don't think about things like I don't have to take up for myself no more. I, I can see that I'm worthless. I'm useless. And God helped me to just humble myself in this marriage. Now, Venetia's laughing because she's glad to hear that I say that. But I, I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you want to promote yourself in your marriage that I am the one that's right. And like I said this morning, you don't need to look at yourself as always being right. And so it's, your sin is found in less degree, and now you have grown in grace, and it's made you swift to hear and slow to, pe- to uh, speak. And you are more able to cast down evil thoughts and imaginations, bringing every thought into obedience and to captivity of the obedience of Christ. So these besetting sins become more under the control of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing he would say is about the frequency of sin. Now, this one's interesting. You know, you've gone from losing your temper three times a day to three times a year. In other words, your temper tantrums have been diminished greatly. Now, some people are hot-headed, and I understand why they get hot-headed. They are easily offended. They want to fight over everything that's said. But let me put it to you like this. When the sanctification process takes place, you're no longer the hothead that you were. You say, well, what am I now? You're a warm head because you still get mad. But you're growing. You understand what I'm saying? You're growing. And there's some people who are just naturally hot-headed, you know. But what it is is that you're growing in self-control, and you're growing and you're growing, and now you can control these emotions and everything that you want to let, let out of your spirit, and you are growing in sanctification. So the frequency in which you fall into sin will be steadily reduced, and you will fight. That's sanctification. You know, you're more, put it like to you like this, you're more consistent in self-control. You say, what do you mean by that? You're long-suffering now. You're patient now. And you begin more and more to control your life and, and you're slow to anger and you are swift to love and you are swift to forgive. That's when you're growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. All this growth and sanctification takes place on the inside in the heart of a man or a woman. And you know, a lot of people will say, you know, this man has a church and he makes statements sometimes. I just watch it. I'm not criticize him per se because he really believes what he believes and he says the most important thing in Christianity is holiness I'm going no 
the most important thing in Christianity is Jesus Christ. And then I'll say this, and I said, and without Jesus Christ, there is no holiness. But see, he can't see the forest for the trees. So he always preaches on holiness and stuff. And, and you women are really like that because they sit the women on one side of the church and the men on the other side of the church. I'm going, well, you're way off with that anyway when you're doing that. So you got families split up and stuff like that. And the continual message is about the kind of clothes you wear and music. You know, the whole thing about fundamentalism, which I know some of the stuff that you need to look at and consider. But I'm going, that's not holiness. Holiness is a work of God in the heart of a man and a woman by the Holy Spirit of God. And he's called the Holy Spirit. And that's where the work is done. So sanctification is absolutely necessary to go to heaven. You're going like, well, what does that mean? (laughs) It's what I mean. You must be made holy before you can be holy. And that can only happen when you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus paved this way of holiness for us. The Holy One of God paved the holy way to heaven. And if you're ever in heaven, it's because of him. Because sanctification is only possible through conversion, or you could say regeneration. So when God saves a sinner, he immediately makes them holy. And what he does is he sets them apart for himself. Now, a lot of young people don't like that because they're saying, you know, I want to be a Christian, but I'm not ready for all that uh, stuff about you can't do nothing. We never told you here you couldn't do nothing. Or have we? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we have. But we, also, we have told you here in this church is that you need to do something. And that something is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. You need to go to the Savior of the world. Because when God saves you, he will immediately make you holy And saving faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to true holiness. Now, when this definitive sanctification takes place, ongoing sanctification begins from that point on. And God, like we said earlier, begins a good work in you, and he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There will be absolutely, according to the word of God, No unholy people in heaven. And people that won't be in heaven. And this is, you know, we talked about the will of God. It won't be because they fornicated. It won't be because they did this or that, was drunkards and all that. They won't be there. But the main reason why they won't be there is because they didn't believe on the Savior. Because he's the only way you can get to heaven. And then when you believe on him, all that other stuff stops. And you're made holy. By God. It's a simple message. And a lot of people try to make themselves holy. As Pastor Jim talked about some of that this morning. And you can't do it. You know, when we was in the charismatic church, we had all kind of things. We just kept adding burden on top of burden on trying to be holy. And here's the problem that we had. We could never please God. So it was a sin to wear certain types of tennis shoes. It was a sin to have a car that had a Greek name. You know, I'm trying to think of some of this crazy stuff we believed in there. Now, I wore my tennis shoes. If I wanted to say that, they didn't see it, but I, I wore my tennis shoes. But you understand what I'm saying? It got to that point. And the reason why it got to that point is because we were trying to make ourselves holy. Overlooking the fact 
It's all done right there. Very simple for God to do. So there will be no unholy people in heaven. And the only way to sanctification and to be made holy and acceptable to God is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we begin to close down tonight, what's God's will for my life? And this is God's will for all of us who are Christians, that I be sanctified, dedicated, consecrated, totally set apart to him. I said this, and, and a lot of people say, well, that's legalism and stuff. I have no life outside of God. Do I ever go outside of God? Yeah. But you know what? My life is completely based around God. Now, you have to grow some before you can see what it is. But, you know, if it's anything that I've got to have in my life, people say, well, you know, I need money or I need a trip and I need everything. I'm going to tell you what I need. I need God. And you know what else I need? I need everything that he's given us to serve and worship him with. I need the church. I told Vanessa one day, I said, do you realize that we almost live more at the church than we live here <laughs> in the house? But we do. We're here a lot. But that's my life now. And it's dedicated and consecrated to God. That's not legalism and anything. It's just the fact that the change has taken place. And I'm going to tell you tonight, I would never want to go back to be what I was. Never. I mean, I want to run from that as far as I could ever run. Never look back at it. Because I would, you know, I would say, well, I'd rather die than look back at it and go back into it. Never. So I'm telling you children of this tonight is that believe on Christ and he will make you holy. Because when you believe on him, you're going you're gonna to dedicate your life totally to him. And nobody is ashamed who trusts in the Lord. And you will look to him and you will... Your whole life will change. It'll be dictated by Christ and his holy will. And let me tell you something about God's will. It is not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. His will is not, and his commandments are not burdensome. I think that the Christian life, if you're really saved and truly saved, is the best life anybody could ever live. And I wouldn't take anything. That's why I like that song, I'd rather have Jesus, because you can have all this other stuff, and it means absolutely nothing. But the Christian life, you've got everything. And to pass that up in this world, you will be sorry in the next, because God is offering you a plate full of blessing. And just to do his will, and his will is not to destroy you, but to bless you and get you to heaven is what God's will is. Well, I'm going to leave you with this tonight, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and this is a good passage of Scripture for us all. Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, in other words, your whole being, and that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. To me, that's a blessing. Because he wants them to be preserved, and he's telling them that he's praying for them to be preserved in holiness and in righteousness. Because going back to what we said before, what is God's will for my life? It's your sanctification. It's holiness. That's God's will. And the reason why is because you're his child, and he wants you to be like him.
And that's what the work is all about. You know, you have to look at things somewhere from, from a distance. You look at stuff, and as you grow in the Lord, you see what the Lord is doing, and you see what he wants to do in your life. So I'll leave you with this. The Lord said, be ye holy as I am holy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the good work that you've done in the lives of all your people throughout this whole wide world. And Father, we thank you that this sanctification process, Lord, has been blessed by you. This, it will be an ongoing process, but you will take us to the very end. Father, we pray that those that are not saved tonight, that they will submit to your will, and your will for them is to believe on your son. And Father, we pray that you give them a heart to do that. Grant them the gift of repentance. Lord, let them see their sin, and let them see their need of a savior. Father, we ask tonight as we close down the services for this day that when we walk out of this church tonight and go back home, Lord, that we will live a consecrated, dedicated life to you. And as we fight this remaining sin and all this that happens in this sanctification process, that you will give us strength and aid of your Holy Spirit. Father, we are privileged to be called the children of God. And, Father, we will never, ever be able to match the love with which you loved us. Father, we ask all these things tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen.